You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. My name is Brian Vickers, and I've been a member here with my family at J-Town for a while now. And um, Lyle's asked me to preach this morning, and I'm really glad to do that. Um, and we've, we've got a great text that everybody, I think, is really familiar with. Um, but it might also be one of those texts that when we read it, we, we kind of pass over it because we think, oh, yeah, I, I know, I've heard this before. Um, and then maybe we just kind of go on our way. But I think that this text is particularly important for us and timely, however you want to put it. Um, I know this, that speaking personally, when we get sort of shut down a little bit and, and now that we're back at home, you know, for church and who knows what's to come, I have an even bigger tendency to kind of go inward. Um, it's a tendency I always have, uh, but I think over the past few months, it's, begun, it's gotten worse. Um, but this text that is about a really familiar theme really gives us the opportunity to be thinking about how God has built us to do virtually anything but go inward, but to live our lives outward. And so our text today is from um, Matthew 22. And just to give you a little bit of context, you might remember um, Jesus has been getting a lot of questions from the religious authorities um, just interested in kind of kicking around some ideas with him either. I mean, they're, they're trying to trap him. So you, you might remember the, the and the Herodians, they came to him and they're asking him about, hey, you know, so, you know, what about Caesar? You know, and um, who do you, who should we honor? And, and then Jesus has them get out the coin, right? And he said, you know, he asked them the question. Uh, and then after that, the, the Sadducees come and they asked Jesus about, a res- about the resurrection and his view on that. And again, what they're really trying to do is kind of trap him and nail him down. And then after he answers them, a lawyer comes, or a, not a lawyer, like, the, like a, a legal expert comes and asks Jesus, hey, what's the most important command? Now, this was, again, not a guy asking Jesus, so let's talk theology here for a minute. The, the teachers of that day, they spent a lot of time talking about, like, what's the weightiest command? Of course, they're all important, but what's, what's the weightiest of the 613 commands? What's the weightiest one? So, when this guy comes and asks Jesus, what's the most important command? He's hoping, right, that, I mean, Jesus is going to say something, and what he's hoping is he can kind of draw Jesus out and then, um, you know, kind of expose something about Jesus' view or disagree with it or, you know, maybe turn opinion against him, any number of things. So again, this is not just a neutral general question. But our text today begins in verse 34 and goes to verse 30 of Matthew chapter 22. So, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked um, a question to him, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? 
And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you today, and we're confronted by your word, I pray, Father, that you will open up our hearts, soften our hearts, expose our hearts, draw us out so that we can hear, and not just be hearers, but those who hear and then do. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one gathered this morning, wherever they are, that you know their hearts, you know what's going on, you know their struggles and anxieties and problems and ups and downs, and I pray that through the power of the Spirit, you will minister to them through your word, in Christ's name, amen. What's the danger of when we, when we use the phrase most important or more important, right? So Jesus says here, um, this is the greatest and most important command. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus, what, the way Jesus put it is, is dangerous, but when you use the word most or more, especially followed by the word important, what do you mean by that? So if, if I would ask you, if I would ask you, what's more important, loving God or loving others? And by the way, I think if you know, the word neighbor, I'm just going to shortcut here, the word neighbor, just think of it as other people, the people who are around you at sort of any given time. So if I would say, what's more important? What does that mean when we use it that way? Or what do we mean by it? Or what is maybe a danger that we can kind of fall into? Well, first of all, let me say this. To say it's more important means that you, you can't reverse it, right? So you can't say love neighbor is the most important, then love God. Love God is the most important thing. But I think one of the things is when we use the phrase more important uh, or we talk about more or most important is the other thing that we're talking about, right? In this case, loving the neighbor, that can become, become sort of secondary, and I don't think Jesus means most important in terms of, well, you, you know, you need this thing. You need to love God. And then if you can get it or you can add to it later, love your neighbor. No, the, the two things go hand in hand. They're meshed together. You can't pull them apart. But what Jesus is saying is our love for others from and is defined by and encased by our love for God. But you can't, you can't take them apart. Um, but when we use the word or the phrase more important, the, the second thing is like icing on the cake, right? I mean, so loving God, that's great. We need to do that, obviously. Loving neighbor, good if you can get it, kind of like icing on the cake. But I mean, what's the thing about icing on a cake, right? A cake is still good. If it's not iced, hey, it's, it's still cake, right? And who doesn't want cake? Right? You put icing on it, it might be a little better, but, you know, all things equal, I'll at least take the cake. Or think of this. Let's say at your house, you have a fridge that needs to be replaced, and you have a leaky pipe that needs to be replaced, right? So they're both important. You need to fix them both, 
right? And you're, but you have a limited budget. And so, you know, you're thinking, you know, that fridge with the kind of half frozen stuff in the freezer, half thawed stuff in the freezer, half frozen stuff on the top, uh, top shelf of the that really needs replaced. However, this leaky pipe that I have a Tupperware container under um, that's constantly leaking, and sometimes I forget to dump out the Tupperware, and there's water everywhere, and I've got a fan on it. Um, that's the most important thing. The fridge, important. The pipe, most important. So I'm going to fix the pipe, and I'll get to the fridge later whenever I can. And I think that's, you know, that, that we can sort of treat love God and love your neighbor in the same sort of way. And by the way, if that sounded like a personal story, it, it may be. So, but we need to be careful to get around to it or, or, to think, or to think, you know, I've got to get squared up or squared away on loving God, and then I'll work on loving neighbor. I guess I would just ask this one question. What does it look like to love God? I mean, what, what is that when you love God? We kind of privatize it, really, right? We, we kind of privatize it in terms of uh, maybe we, we're loving God in, in our, you know, our daily prayer life. Yes, sure. Uh, when we're reading the Bible, absolutely. When we're gathered together, either together together or even remotely. When we're worshiping, when we're singing hymns, when we're hearing the Word, yeah, we're thinking about how we love God. Often do make it kind of a, a private thing. So the next question I would just say, ask is this, what does love for God look like? Now, it's, it's all those things I just, uh, just shared with you and more, but what love for God really looks like in a sort of day-to-day basis is loving others. That's where it's expressed, right? So love for God is important thing because it's from that love that, uh, that love for others flows and comes out. It sort of defines all Christian love. And so that's why it's the most important, but it doesn't stand alone. I think that's think right? Love for God is not a thing all by itself apart from, apart from loving others. So, you know, just let me be clear here. When we're talking about love in our context, just so we're clear, we're not talking about sort of love is all you need, which is what I started to title and to title my sermon. But then, well, it's too late now. Everybody has that song in their mind, so I shouldn't even brought it up. But it's not just sort of love is all you need, or if you just love, you're good to go. We're speaking specifically and always about love. Um, in the context of confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord, uh, in whom we have full forgiveness of sins, right? So we mean love in a very sort of specific, specific confessional way. So what we're going to focus on today is just two things. I just want to talk about two things um, in Jesus's answer to the question, what's the most important command? Uh, The first one is this, is that love understood biblically, creates for us, or in us, a life with no gaps. That is, it fills up our life. It makes our life complete. And then that's what was sort of being driven at. That was what was the, whole, the law was driving at the whole time, and that is this life without gaps, right? You don't, and an easy way to think about this is your Sunday self 
and your Monday self are the same person, right? So whatever you're like on Sunday when you're with people or, you know, when we're together, um, how much is that person comparable to your sort of Monday self that the people closest to you know, right? So the law, the Mosaic law was pushing towards and, sh- and sort of painting this picture of this life without gaps. And, but, or, but the thing is, is that it couldn't deliver on that. It, because through the keeping of the law, that life, that life that was put on display, couldn't, you couldn't get it by just working for it. Completion, so that the idea of love is, again, a life with no gaps in it. So when Jesus is asked this question, the first thing he does is he quotes probably the most well-known text in all the Old Testament for the Jews, and that is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Write them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of the house and on your city gates. Right? So Jesus goes through the text that every Jewish person would know. Um, It's their main confession of faith. And he goes right there and says... You know, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I think we need to to think about this a little bit because it's easy to think that Jesus is sort of talking about sort of three different parts of you, right? Like your heart. So I've got to I've got to ramp up my I don't know what my emotional feeling of love for God. It's got to just, my heart's just got to be overflowing. Or, and then my soul, well, let's see, I need to love God with all my soul. So that means it's got, well, okay, we'll come back to that one, right? So just, I mean, when we think about loving God with all our soul, we sort of think about what? Sort of the same way we would think about loving God with all of our heart. And then love God with all your mind, we immediately go to maybe, uh, you know, sort of the intellectual bit of loving God or loving God in our, in our Bible reading or loving God in sort of maybe some kind of intellectual sort of way. The thing is, is heart, soul, and mind are not being used here to talk about, you know, you need to love God emotionally and then you need to love God in a, like a, a soul sort of way. And then you need to love God intellectually. It's a picture of a complete person. That's, that's really what it is. So don't worry about sort of trying to parse out heart, soul, and mind, but rather think of it as comprehensive. Telling us, love God with all you've got. In other words, your love for God is all-encompassing. It's not, you don't just sort of check off emotions and check off sort of your intellectual pursuit, whatever that might be, and then whatever it is, you know, you think about loving God with all your soul, the three things are about one thing, and that is a whole complete human being made in the image of loving God with all they've got. Right? So it's a complete picture. But it's not complete just yet. Jesus goes and says, the second, now remember, 
the guy asked Jesus, what's the most important command? And Jesus gives him a two-part answer. I don't know if you ever thought about it exactly that way. The guy says, what's the most important? And Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God. And then he says, that's the most important. And a second is just like it. Like, that's what he says, right? The second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing here, he's quoting the Old Testament again. And this time he's quoting from Leviticus 19 that says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So did you catch that last little part, I am the Lord? Right? So Leviticus Leviticus 19.18 is... So when you're thinking about, even in Leviticus, when they're thinking about loving neighbor, it is immediately put in in this sort of larger picture of love for God. Right? So in one way, Leviticus 19.18 sums up the whole thing. It, it sums up the whole thing. Um, now, I think sometimes we can struggle with that as yourself part, right? I mean, what does that mean, as yourself? Because I think a lot of us were like, you know, not always super impressed or loving ourselves. Or, we, or, or imagine this, somebody was saying about you, man, she really loves herself right? Or, and that guy, he is in love with himself, right? You, you wouldn't be super excited to know that people are talking about you in that way. But love yourself here, I think the good thing is, is that Matthew has already given us Jesus's definition of what it means to love yourself. And that was found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And you know this, right? Sometimes we call this the golden rule, Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For look, this is the law and the prophets. Did you notice that? This is the law and the prophets, which is exactly what Jesus says in chapter 22, verse 40, after he says, love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. I think this is what it means. To love yourself means, again, if you want to call it the golden rule, right? Um, Do unto others or do the same for them as you would want them to do for you. And I think that's, that's essentially what it means. And so, you know, in the Bible, the second command of loving neighbor is so closely attached to the first one that is love God that sometimes, sometimes a biblical author can even leave out the first part. So, Paul Paul in Galatians 5 says this, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Neighbor is yourself. So what is Paul doing? How can Paul just say the whole thing is fulfilled in this one thing? That is, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, I don't think... I don't think that Paul sort of, he wrote the letter to the Galatians, and then later he's walking down the road, and let's say Silas is with him or Timothy, and he's walking along, and all of a sudden he thinks, oh, again, I always forget that first part, right? I got the, every time, I leave out the love the God, love, I love, sorry, I leave out the love the Lord your God with all your heart part, and I always forget. I mean, I think we can assume Paul knew the Old Testament, and so he just shortcuts it by saying the whole law summed up like this. 
love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because he's taking it for granted that that's flowing from love, from love for God. But the thing is, loving neighbor, that's what love for God looks like on a day-to-day basis. That's the way it looks in our life, right? So we show our love for God by loving others. And I think, again, I think this is what Jesus is getting at, and I, I certainly what Paul is getting at. So, the third thing, or I guess the second thing I mean, I want to talk about, though, is the idea that love, according to Jesus, doesn't start with do not, or doesn't stop with do not. It doesn't stop with you shall not. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. I've had lots of conversations with people, many conversations with people, who will come and say, you know, you put so much, talking to me, I'm the you part, you put so much emphasis on how Jesus has fulfilled the law, and he's brought the whole thing to completion, and that love is now the main and only command. Are you telling me that people don't hold, say, not to murder, or that in the new covenant, in the new covenant, um, you know, everything's okay? As long? Well, Honestly, nothing could be further from the truth because, think about it for a second. If you're really loving people according to Jesus, are you going to harm them? Are you going to hurt them? So, in other, words, in other words, love, by definition, biblically speaking, love will fulfill all the commands. It also shows us that the commands are not simply do not do that, do that. This, let me give you some examples. In Matthew 5.21, Jesus says, It was said to your ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. And then just a few verses later, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is exposing the the idea that the commands really are not about avoiding homicide. And it's not just simply about avoiding adultery, but that these things spring up from the heart. So we might hear that and think, oh, no, this is than I thought it was, right? I've, I've managed not to, con- I've, I've really managed to live my life homicide-free, but, you know, I've got a lot of hate sort of welling up in me. Or, you know, I've never physically committed adultery, but now, now it's like doubly hard. Because now it's, it's lust in my heart that I have to look out for. But the love command, the love command, I think, rounds this whole thing out and helps us, right? It's all coming from Jesus. And so the love command, the love command shows then how these commands are fulfilled. And they don't just stop with do not. And if you think about it, if you ask people why they think they're a good person, right? Or, or maybe 
it used to be, maybe this is, this is kind of conversation with people by saying, hey, why do you think you should go to heaven, right? And, you know, the stereotypical answer would be, well, you know, I've never murdered anybody. Uh, I don't rely big ones. Uh, I try to be honest. You know, I try to be a good person. But, you know, I don't lie. I, I don't hurt people. Um, in other words, it's always like, here's the stuff I don't do that, that will show how good I really am. Now, we as Christians look at that and think, well, it's not enough, right? It's not enough not to murder. It's, it's not enough not to steal. That's not what makes you a good person. But as Christians, we ourselves talk about faithfulness and obedience often in terms of what we don't do. So, for instance, but now we, we ramp it up a little bit. And it's like, so, well, you know, I try not to hate. I try not to have hate in my heart. I try not to have lust in my heart. I try not to be jealous. I try not to covet. And I'm not at all saying, right, that, that those are not legitimate things, but what I'm saying is the fulfillment, the fulfillment of a command like do not murder is not simply don't have hate in your heart. It is that, but the love command, you see, brings it forward so we can start thinking about obedience and faithfulness, not as simply what we don't do or what we stop short of doing or thinking, wow, what am I going to do with all this sort of stuff in my heart? We can start thinking about obedience in the new covenant as being fulfilled by love. And in other words, help us get out of ourselves and our constant sort of mulling over how we come up short and our mulling over um, the various sorts of conflicts and things that we... And it actually will help us just get our eyes and minds off of ourselves onto others and start to see, you know what? The command not to murder is not simply that I don't hate someone. It's that I, I love them. And Jesus has been getting us ready for this. Again, back in, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says in chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And, right? So again, Jesus has already set this up. So that we understand that obedience to Jesus, obedience in the new covenant, is fulfilled by love, not simply by managing to somehow root out sort of just hatred in your heart. So, in other words, it's, again, it's not just a private issue of needing to flush out things, right? It's not just that. It is taking the next step and loving people. Now, the best examples that I can give you quickly come from a really well-known catechism. It's from Luther's Smaller Catechism, which I think, in my view, is one of the best, if not the best, shortest interpretation of like how a Christian would deal with commands. And he goes straight to the classic commands, the, the Ten Commandments. And I'll just give you three, three examples of what this looks like that will, I think, sort of drive it home. The first one that I'm going to use is about fifth commandment. 
And so you know the command, you shall not murder. And then the question is, the question to that is, so what does this mean? Now look at the answer. You should fear and love God so that we may not hurt nor harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in physical need, in every need and danger of life and body. You see? So it's not just don't don't harm him, but rather love them by doing what? So befriending a person, loving a person, is the fulfillment of the command, do not murder. It's not simply don't hurt them, and it's not just, well, try not to hate them. It's actually stepping out into love and embracing them, right? Embracing them in love or treating them with love, approaching them with love, thinking about them in terms of, in terms of love. Or here's another one. From the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And then, you know, the catechism says, what does this mean? It means we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure life and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife do not commit adultery. It is what? Love and honor. And then just one more. The eighth command. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So the question, so what does this mean? We should fear and love God. See, notice how it starts with love, of the love of God, so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, explain everything in the kindest way. And so, in other words, in other words, the command, do not bear false witness or do not lie, is not simply, well, you got to really avoid lying. It is that you need to avoid lying. The love command pushes it forward to this full fulfillment, to its full fulfillment, so that we understand the fulfillment of not lying is speaking the truth and defending others, speaking well of others, and speaking of others in the best light. That's how to fulfill the command not to bear false witness. So see, that's a full-on, full-orbed view of the love command. Now, this, the reason we have to go back and it starts with God, it starts with love of God, is it must flow out of that. Otherwise, we're just going to turn this into a work, right? Because every command, every command, even the love command, will have this effect on us, and that is it will expose our hearts. It needs to. It'll expose our hearts. It'll call us up short. It'll show us where we're falling behind or where we failed and bring us back, not to just a redoubled effort, now I've got to really try to love, but bring us back to the cross and God's love and grace and kindness that flows out into us that recreates us as whole people who love God and love others, who don't simply go around trying not to hate, don't simply go around trying not to lust, because that's all sort of like a private thing, right? That's all sort of private. But it goes beyond that to not hurt, not harming. It goes beyond that to helping. It goes beyond that to giving thanks for others. And any number of other things, the love command really does bring Christian faithfulness into full perspective. So, just let me give you a 
couple of ways that you might be able to put this in practice, that we might be able to put this in practice over the, just the next few days, say tomorrow, say this afternoon. Number one, this is a do not. Don't begin with extreme exceptions. Now, what I mean by this is anytime you start talking about the love command or loving your enemies, it's usually a guy will step up and say, well, are you telling me that if somebody breaks into my house and, and they're fully armed and they're holding my family up at gunpoint, I just stand there? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, does that happen a lot at your house? I mean, is that the sort of normal sort of thing that happens that you're constantly being threatened me off in traffic and like it's road rage that I just sort of go along with it? Like, I don't know. Does that happen to you every single time you leave the house? So we, but we do have this tendency to jump out quickly on these sort of, what about when this happens, do I still need to do that? So my first, the first thing is, if that kind of thing has happened to you all the time, you probably need to get a better deadbolt and maybe even move. But if those things aren't happening to you on a daily basis, right, just push aside those extreme sort of what if things and start by spending time considering the kind of love that God has for you and has shown you and constantly shows you, and that's the sort of love that flows out to others, right? So 1 John 4.10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. Spend time reflecting on those, those things, and then that puts your context of love for others into context. And then third, ask yourself this question. Who has God put in my life and what can I do for them? So don't start by saying, don't start by saying stuff like the church and Christians need to be more loving. Absolutely we do. But it's really easy to talk about the church just needs to be more loving. Christians need to be more loving. Ask yourself personally this question, who has God put in my life today for me to love and show compassion to and show mercy to, right? So personalize it in that way. And finally, easy, just start at home. Start with those people who are close. To, start here at J-Town. Start at work. Start across your street. Uh, but don't choose the people like you're going to reach out to or love. Who has God put in your life? Right? So that you're not picking and choosing, but you just, who has God put in my life? And for almost all of us, or for many of us, that's going to start today with the people who we're home with and who, you know, are around us the most. So I hope it's been helpful just to kind of think about how these love commands, they really, what they, Jesus is really doing is offering us, offering us to be who God has called us to be. That is people who love God and love others, and in so doing, become the people that God intends us to be. That love that God has for us was shown to us explicitly on the night that Jesus was betrayed. So if you're at home and you're taking communion together, I would just invite you to uh, take out the elements and on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as they were eating, this is Matthew 26, take and eat it, 
This is my body. And this is a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for us. Take this in remembrance of him. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we can go about fulfilling love, this love command for you and for others, unless, Lord, you work it in us through the power of your Spirit. But we know, Lord, that you have promised to conform us to the image of your Son who loved us so much that he gave himself for us and was obedient even to death on the cross, Lord. So we just ask you that you would fulfill your promise and conform us to the image of your Son through the power of your Spirit so that we could be those who love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and who love all of those around us as ourselves the way you have loved us. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.